So uh, over the last uh, four weeks, we've been talking about the idea of the valleys and peaks that we all go through in our life, through the, uh, the times where things seem like they're going great, the times that where things seem like they're going awful, and how we can, in, in many ways, misinterpret the presence of God in our life during those times and during those seasons, and how many times we put um, that kind of pressure, if you will, on our, and, and expectations on God that are really um, not at all what he intended for us, because the ups and downs, the approvals of others, the, the things in our life that when things are going great, that means we're in God's good graces. And if things are going bad, then that must mean that we're not. Um, and, and we misinterpret the presence of God, which leads us to a place of, um, of anxiety, sometimes depression, sometimes deep, dark places that God never intended us to go, maybe because we're looking at these valleys and these peaks in our life and looking at them the wrong way and, and even handling them the wrong way as we have a tendency to do because we're sinful human beings who when we get into the valleys, we tend to get selfish and we tend to think about ourselves um, way more than, than we really should. And so we've looked at contentment. We've looked at doubt and trust over the last few weeks. We've looked at the value of having a habit of prayer and being in the word of God. Um, we've looked at, at gratitude and having an, an attitude of gratitude. Um, we've looked at last week, we talked about the power of forgiveness, the power of forgiveness and, and really the sovereignty of God within that, uh, you know, that God is all powerful and over everything and that, and that we should really look at, at everything that we go through as, as being from the hand of God because in, in a very real sense it is. And so I wanna bring it all together today as we wrap up this series um, with a story that you may not uh, think is one that kind of brings this together, but it is a story that takes place on a literal mountain peak, on a mountain top. Uh, we're going to be actually in the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 17 today. If you have your Bibles or, uh, or you want to follow along in the Bible app, uh, you can look up Connect Church in Akron, Ohio. We're going to be in Matthew 17, but you can follow along with the notes on there as well. Um, and so as you turn there, though, I want to give you a little bit of setup for this story because I think it's always important for us to look at things in context. And I try to do that as, as often as, as we can through these stories. And so right before Matthew 17, uh, in, in Matthew 16, which comes before 17, um, there, there's, a, there's a, a time where Jesus is, is talking with the disciples and as he's talking with them, he's predicting actually his own death. And he's talking, he's talking through this and Peter rebukes him. You may know the story. Peter rebukes him and, and Jesus then puts him in his place. And he explains, Jesus does, that following him could very well mean giving up everything. That, that following Jesus is, is, is something that, that requires us to, to give up everything or at least to be willing to give up everything for him. And in Matthew 16, this is probably a familiar verse to you, or at least some phrases from these verses are, are familiar to you. In, in verses 25 and 26 in Matthew 16, it says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? And so this is what happens before this moment. And before this really cool story that happens in Matthew 17. And so we're going to see a literal peak and in some ways a literal valley 
in this account. But this is a story that is also, there's an account of this story in Luke chapter 9. Um, as uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what's known as the synoptic gospels. If you've ever heard that phrase before, essentially what that means is many of the same stories are told in all three of those books, but from different perspectives. And so this is one of those stories that's in, in Matthew and in Luke chapter 9. And so we get some different, uh, some different takes. And, and a good way to look at that is, is you know, if, if you were to write a story about what happened in the service today, and somebody else over here was to write a story about what happened in the service today, there'd be, you'd, you'd have the same beats, but it would definitely be a different take, even though somebody's sitting right here and somebody's sitting right here, it would be a different take on that. And so when we, when we look at this story and, and we refer to Luke 9 as well, keep those things in mind. So let's start right at the beginning of Matthew 17 and verse 1. Uh, you can follow along with me here. So this is after that story I just told you about. Um, and it says this, six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain to be alone. And as the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. And suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Okay, there's a lot here in three verses, right? There's a lot going on here. First of all, can you imagine seeing this? Okay, like this is the best that they could do to describe this, what's happening here. But we see this is what's known as the mountain of transfiguration. And Jesus is, uh, reveals his glorified form um, to these guys. And, and I just can't imagine seeing this. I mean, like take this in for just a second as far as what they saw and how much, like how much would this change your life from this point forward after seeing this, after seeing this happen. The Greek word for transfigured that's used here actually is where we get our word metamorphosis. Uh, that, that word kind of comes from that. And so while Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and forever, absolutely, this was actually more of him letting out his glory is a, probably a better way of looking at this. Letting out his glory as opposed to changing. So let's not think of like he, he changed, you know, he didn't, it wasn't like a Power Ranger thing, you know what I mean? This was, this was always there, you know? This, the glory of God, it was always there. Um, he just chose to conceal it for our sake because Jesus came and he lived on this earth as a human, 100% man, 100% God. He walked this earth, walked in, in many ways in our shoes and can understand us. And, and so to be able to relate to Jesus in that way, for him to be able to conceal his glory for our sake is exactly what he did. But here he chooses to show it. And I think there are some very interesting reasons why. Now, some think that Jesus took Peter and James and John with him on this particular trip because they needed to be watched more carefully. And that's probably true. There's probably some truth to that. But the thing is, three different times in the scriptures, we find that Jesus took these three and ministered to them in unique ways. And every single time, that he did, it dealt with death in some way, shape, or form. And we know from Luke chapter 9, reading the account there, that Jesus was actually talking with them about his death, or actually he said his departure, uh, right before this all went down. And so Jesus was preparing Peter and James and John through these situations and through these things that he had them go through for what was to come, for what was to come later. He was also giving them confidence and giving them boldness in their salvation for their ministry to come. Because if you read the rest of what happens with those three, 
and the things that God does with them, and, and, and even Peter specifically in terms of his boldness and all of that, and, and the way that he was able to just go forward in such a brash way and, and really be one of the, um, one of the, the people that, that founded the early church um, in, in the way in which he did, you can see that these specific moments that Jesus took them through were for them to prepare them for what was to come. And you know what? He does the same with you, and he does the same with me. He walks us through certain things. He shows us certain things. He reveals to us certain things to prepare us for what is ahead. I wonder what in your life God has shown you, walked you through, what peak, what valley has he maybe walked you through to prepare you for your ministry to come? Let's keep going. Verse 4. It says, Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. The disciples were terrified and fell face down on the ground. And then Jesus came over and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone. And they saw only Jesus. Now, a couple of things here. I think, first of all, um, it's almost like a funny moment in some ways where, where Peter just kind of starts blurting things out. And you can almost, as the cloud is, is coming over and God kind of cuts off Peter as he's talking, I can almost even imagine Jesus going, shut up, you know, like in that moment. You know what I mean? I'm thinking of like the meme of the like, like that, that kind of thing. Um, because Peter just does. He just kind of blurts out the first thing that comes to his mind. Now, if you read in Luke 9, you actually find out this is one of the times, because uh, there's a few times, where the disciples were asleep. So they were actually sleeping. It wasn't recorded in this account, but in Luke 9, it says that they were asleep when this all happened. And so they're woken up, and they see Jesus in his glorified form, and they didn't know what to do here. I don't think you and I would know what to do here if we saw this. So Peter just blurts out the first thing that he can think of, like he does. And he really didn't need to do anything. That's the thing. He really didn't need to do anything but to see Jesus and to see the presence of the glorified Christ. And he makes the mistake here of actually putting Moses and Elijah on equal levels with Jesus, really because he's just talking without thinking. Like, I need to do something here. And I don't, I don't know if he intentionally really meant to do that, but God corrects him. And the presence of God the Father in that moment, the presence of God the Father, it reorients Peter. It brings him full circle. It, it turns his perspective and points him to the only one worthy, and that is Jesus. That is Jesus. You see, the presence of God's glory changes things. The presence of God's glory, it changes our perspective. When we're in the presence of God, it's really hard to not see anything but Jesus in those times. In this moment, I believe, set a trajectory for Peter. Seeing and being in the presence of the glorified Savior, it changed things for him. 
This was a mile marker moment in Peter's life. I, I truly believe that. I truly believe that, that this is one of those things that God used to build him up, to prepare him for what was to come, because he refers back to it, as we'll see here in just a second. But he got a glimpse of heaven in this moment that really nobody else had gotten to this point. He and the, and the other two that were there with him, with James and John, they got a glimpse of heaven and they knew that this was amazing and they knew that this was awesome and, and, they, and they saw it. And, and you can imagine the boldness and even the security that they felt then in that moment, seeing and being in the presence of God in that way. The presence of Jesus flattens out the valleys and the peaks. The glory, the power, the awe of God and the present reality, it changed their perspective forever because he knew firsthand the power of Jesus. And he talked about it later in Second Peter. Take a look at this. It says, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. So he's like, I, I wasn't just making stuff up. Like, I know this story sounds awesome, and it was because I was there. So I'm not just making stuff up. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. So he's referring to this moment even later on in his ministry and having that experience with the Lord and actually walking with him gave him boldness, gave him confidence, gave him security. He got a glimpse of heaven. And for Peter, it solidified the promises of Jesus. I mean, yes, he's walking with Jesus in all of these times and seeing these miracles. But keep in mind, the disciples, didn't, they, like, they didn't have it all figured out at this point yet. And neither do we. But you could even argue that they didn't have it figured out even through the rest of their life, that they were still figuring it out. But, but these were the kinds of moments that were just the jaw-dropping, eye-opening moments that they needed to have the boldness and confidence to do what God wanted to do through them. But this understanding of the power of God firsthand, the power of Jesus, who he is, and eternity. See, having that understanding, having that security in our eternity really flattens out the valleys and the peaks, or at least it should. So I want to sidestep for just a minute here, and I want to teach uh, something that really will come back around full circle here. And I want to dig into a truth about our salvation. And it's really going to come back around. And so let me, let me start with this, with this verse in the book of John, chapter 10. And this is a passage that I would even encourage you to even, even memorize, or at least be able to turn to right away. John 10, 27 through 30 says this, my sheep listen to my voice and I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. Now this is Jesus speaking. These are the words of Jesus right here talking about a doctrine called eternal security. And this idea of eternal security is something that I think um, many people struggle with today. I've had a lot of questions um, over the last couple of years, and, and I was asked this often when I was a youth pastor as well, about what is eternal security? And, and it may not be asked in the sense of like exactly like this, but, but the way in which it's been asked is clear that people are 
maybe not completely secure in the fact that they're going to be with Jesus forever. And so this is vital. It's vital to have security and, and to be secure in where you are going for eternity. You know, the idea of can you lose your salvation? That's, that's really one of the biggest questions. Can you, can you lose your salvation? Is it, is it once saved, always saved? Is, is that, do we believe that? Does the Bible confirm that? Um, absolutely. A hundred percent it does. And I'm going to show you why. But if you don't know why, then what's the point? So let me break down eternal security for you here just for a minute because this matters and it comes full circle when it comes to leveling out the valleys and the peaks. And so number one is it is eternal. And so eternal means eternal, forever, right? That means that there is no end to it. There is no end to it. We are eternal beings and where we end up for eternity is where we have the choice, where we will spend eternity Because as I've heard it said before, there was a time when you were not, when you did not exist, but there will never be a time when you will never be. You will all, you are an eternal being. You will always be. The question is, where will you always be? And so as soon as you trust in Jesus as your savior, your eternal life with Jesus begins right then and there. A lot of times I think we, when we, when we think about salvation, we think, oh, that salvation is going to be when I'm, in, when I'm in heaven. You know what? Your eternal life begins the moment you put your trust in Jesus. Eternal life begins now, that moment, and, and lasts forever. And so no matter what happens, the Bible says that you will never lose it. And this is another reason why the gospel is good news. This is another reason why it helps us in these moments where we feel like we're down in the valleys. Because if you could get it and you could lose it, then you would be constantly living under this cloud of fear and guilt and confusion. And quite frankly, there are some people that I've spoken to over the last few months and years that are living under that cloud of fear and confusion and guilt because they don't totally understand eternal security. But because it is eternal, we can serve God out of love and gratitude, knowing that once we have it, knowing once that we have eternal life, it can never, ever be lost. And so it's also security, right? It's security in that fact. Because God gives us eternal life, we have eternal, everlasting security in him. And it's in him. See, some, some people base their eternal security on how they feel about themselves. Sometimes we base it on what others think about us. But as believers in Jesus Christ, we We need to base our security on what God thinks about us because we are God's children. We are his children. We are now his children. As it says in John 1, 12, it says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. See, he will never cast us out, will never lose us. There is nothing I can do to make myself not my father's child. There's nothing I can do. I will always be my father's child. John chapter six says this, those, all those the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Look at that. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. See, we are now his children. Once we put our trust in Jesus, we are now his children and we cannot be unborn from his family. 
And this is the reason that we should be, as believers, we should be some of the happiest people on the planet because of this truth. And it is quality as well as quantity. See, it's both. It's quality as well as quantity. Not only does the length of our eternal life, it's eternal, right? Because we have the love of Jesus within us, that quality of life is also there as well because of Jesus in our life. See, the quality, it's based on our personal relationship with God, the Father, through Christ. Because of him, we have direct access to God through what Jesus did for us on the cross. And here is the, here's the, the biggest point of all of this. If you, if you missed everything else up until this point, this, this, is, this is the one you cannot miss. Because eternal security was the point of the cross. I want you to think about that for a second. Eternal security was actually the point of the cross. The reason Jesus went to the cross was so that we can be eternally secure. If we do not have eternally, uh, eternal security, if it is not once saved, always saved, if you can lose your salvation, then the sacrifice of Jesus was pointless, and I don't believe that for a second. This is why understanding eternal security is vital, and I think you're starting to see how this is all coming full circle with all of this because it gives us confidence to live the life that Jesus wants us to live and to have joy in that. This verse in 1 John chapter 5, I read this to somebody every time I get the privilege of walking with someone through accepting Jesus as their Savior. I always end with this verse. And, and I'll, I'll read this with them and actually ask them to read, it, to read it themselves because I want them to read it out loud. It says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So who is that? That's us. That's, that's those who believe in God, those who are trusting in Jesus for salvation. John is writing this specifically, these things, scripture, to us, so that you may know that you have eternal life. It doesn't say so that you may be pretty sure. It says so that you may know, and that's huge, because I think there are way too many people who are living under the cloud of, boy, am I going to screw it up today? And that ends up screwing us up today <laughs> when we do that. See, because we know that we have eternal life, we should be joyful. We should be thankful in every aspect of our lives because it gives us reasons to serve God willingly. Not a license to sin. Hear that. This is not a license to sin because just because we are God's children and we can never get kicked out of his family and we can never lose our salvation, it doesn't mean that he will not discipline his disobedient children because he will. And certainly, repentance and evidence of life change, of a changed life should be there. Absolutely. That needs to be there. That's clear in scripture as well. Because you, you might be thinking, Jay, um, okay, so I, I have some friends or I know of some people or what about someone who they said the prayer, right? They, they, they said the prayer and, and then they've walked away from God. What, what about them? What about that person? That's a very fair and legit question couple of things. Number one, I don't know the heart of that person, and neither do you. Only God knows the heart of that person. And so did they, you know, are, are they really followers of Jesus would be the next question on top of that. I would wonder if there's no evidence of a changed life, I would have to ask the hard question of were they really saved to begin with? 
Were they really saved to begin with? Did they really put their trust in Jesus alone? Because James chapter two says that faith without works is dead. And so if there's no evidence of a changed life, then, then was there really transformation there? Did that really happen? It says, and James also, it says, even the demons believe and tremble. And so can the de- are, are the demons saved? No, right? That doesn't make sense. Paul says in Philippians uh, 2.12, talks about working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It says work out, not work for. There's a big difference. See, eternal life, it is a reason to serve the Lord. It is a reason to serve the Lord. If someone came up to you and gave you a million bucks and just handed you a million bucks, you wouldn't spit in their face, would you? No. If you're anything like me, you'd probably be asking, what's the catch? But you wouldn't just spit in their face. No, you, you would be thankful. You would, you would have a heart of gratitude. You would be, you would be thankful for, for what, what they're giving you. And this is so much more than that. This is so much more than that. And in some ways, right, the most natural response to God's gift of eternal life It really should be thankfulness, gratefulness. That should be our natural response to the gift of eternal life. And on top of that, you add obedience. You add a willingness to serve because of who he is and because of what is at stake. And what is at stake? Eternity. Eternity is what is at stake. See, our valleys and our peaks, they're according to his mission, not to ours. They're according to his mission. Too often we look, we look at those things that happen and we put them through our own selfish filter. But the peak of the mountain of transfiguration that was, that was where Peter and James and John got to be a part of, that was to prepare them for the valleys that were to come. Because you better believe that this was a peak in their life. Absolutely. But it was all according to Jesus' mission because Jesus knew. He knew the valleys that were to come. And it's the same with you and it's the same with me. He knows the peaks and the valleys that you're going to go through. And the disciples, they didn't need to worry about their eternal security so that they could go boldly and do what Jesus was calling them to do. And again, it's the same with you and it's the same with me. This isn't something that we should be worried about. This is something that should give us comfort and should give us peace when we're going through those peaks and those valleys, knowing that everything that we're going through is because of the mission that God has given each and every one of us who are followers of him. It's not to earn our salvation. It's not because we've disappointed him. It's not because we said the sinner's prayer, we didn't say it right, or it didn't take the first time. It's not because we're being punished. Yes, our actions have consequences. Absolutely, our actions have consequences. But if we are content in who we are in Jesus, if we stop listening to the lies of doubt and deceit, we bring those things to Jesus as people of prayer. If we stay in his word, we stay in his word faithfully, and we see all that happens as from the hand of God, because it is, then the valleys and the peaks are reduced to speed bumps. Why? Because we know that we are eternally secure. 
We are eternally secure with Jesus because if we put our faith and our trust in him alone, then we are his children. And when all of those things and all of that stuff fades away, all that's left is Jesus. And that's the connection point. That when everything else is gone, we will only see Jesus. See, on that mountain, when all of that stuff happened, and, every, and, and the glory of Jesus is there, and, and Peter is, is being reoriented by the presence of God, and they just fall face down because I, th- I think Peter in some ways was like, okay, this is awesome, but I think I'm in trouble. And, and so he's got the peak and the valley, and he doesn't even know what to do, and he's face down. And the next thing that happens is a touch on his shoulder. And when all the craziness, at least in his mind, and everything that was going on, the glory of God that's around him that changes him and reorients him, what is the only thing left to see? He's tapped on the shoulder, and Jesus is there saying, get up. It says they only saw Jesus. So let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Let's keep our eyes only on Jesus. And if you don't have that eternal security, can I just tell you that you can before you walk out of this place today or before you turn off the live stream? You can have it right now. It just, it's, it's just a matter of admitting that you're a sinner, admitting that you can't save yourself, believing that Jesus is who he says he is, that he died for you, to pay the price for your sins because you can't do anything. You can't do anything to wipe your sins away, but the blood of Jesus can. The blood of Jesus can. And on the third day, he rose again and he conquered death, hell, and the grave for you and for me. And it's just a matter of transferring your trust to him and to him alone for eternal life. And that eternal life starts right then, right that moment, and lasts forever. And that's just the beginning. That's just the beginning of what Jesus wants to do in and through your life. All these things, all these peaks, all these valleys that we go through in our life, when all of those things fade away and fall apart, you know who's still going to be there? Who's always going to be there no matter what? Jesus. Picking us up with tenderness, with love. Saying, get up. I'm here. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of these valleys. And don't get arrogant in the peaks. Just see Jesus. Can you bow your heads with me? If you want to know for sure that you're going to be with Jesus in heaven one day, if you're not 100% sure of that, I, I can't encourage you enough to either come see me after, after the service, talk to, to one of our pastors, maybe even and head, head to the orange wall, If that's you and you want to know more about that and you're watching online, you can go to connectchurch.xyz slash next. You could even just comment right there to find out more, how you can know that you're eternally secure. Because when the valleys and peaks come, and they will, and they do, knowing that we are secure in the arms of the Father, in the hands of Jesus, because as it says in that verse in John, the Father and I are one. It's the best place to be. If you want to know more about that, if you're, if you're here 
in, in, the, in the worship center, you'd be willing to just look me right in the eye if that's you. Just nobody else around you would know. If you want to know more about that, I'd love to just come find you and pray afterwards. Nobody else around you will know. If that's you and you want to know more, you're not 100% secure in your eternity. You can just look me right in the eye and just me, you, and God will see that. Heavenly Father, I love you so much and I thank you, Jesus, for, for your love and your grace and your mercy and, and, and the security that we have in you. God, I thank you for the cross and I thank you for the fact that you came and you died and you rose again so that we don't have to worry about it, Lord, because there's nothing that we can do to, to wipe away our sins, to make us clean enough. So, Father, I thank you so much for that. And I pray, Lord, if there's one here or there's one watching that doesn't know, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would continue to move in their life and they would maybe make that decision today. Lord, I pray that we can all rest in the fact that through the valleys and the peaks, Lord, that you are right there with us, that you are reaching down, holding our hand, walking us through these moments. Father, we just need to lean on you. And I pray that we would do that. Pray that this would give us the boldness and confidence to do what you've called us to do. Thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for this time that we've had together to worship you, to learn about you, to gain confidence in you. Father, I pray that you would go before us and help us to be the church as we go out into a world that needs to hear the good news of Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.